0: Welcome back nature nerds. I'm Jen and I'm sitting here uh, looking at my lovely co-host Megan. We are here again to bring you some more stories of nature and people and peril and cautionary tales. I think Megan who has been responding to all the Instagram messages this week. Thank you Megan. Yeah yeah yeah. She has a couple things she wanted to talk about before we go into
1: our amazing science news. I don't think we read our reviews on here a lot. Like I've listened to other podcasts and they're like we got a five star review and then they talk about it oh yeah um but i, I just want to talk about this would-be review bob potts he is a follower of ours uh-huh hey, and bob. he wrote to us and was like hey i really want to review you guys but i use an android and i feel you i myself am also an android user yeah i struggle sometimes with <laughs> itunes and he was like listen this is what i would do i would write you guys a limerick If I were going to review you and we were like, all right, let's, let's hear it. And he sent it to us and I'm going to read it. Let me just put on my poetry hat. Okay. Real quick. That's right. Uh, There once was a podcast from Guam. For nature nerds, it is the bomb. Only once drink your pee, better run from the bee. Fruitcake bats and lizards, nom, nom, nom. (laughs) I love that so much. It is so good. Bob, we're sending you stickers just seeing so, you so know. many stickers that was amazing I, it was that's nothing, there, there's nothing there's no other words there's no nothing else words. to say just Full of awe. Oh, it makes me tear up a little bit. I know. So good. So good. Thank you so, so much for that. Thank we you really so much. It. I think the second thing I wanted to talk about was we have another another Instagram follower, Moonbra five four one zero. Nice. <laughs> they sent us a photo of a bunch of bees on their property. Like oh, yeah. it's creates like a video of just like this giant swarm of bees. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, oh, they're completely covered over our oregano. And I was like, do you already raise bees or is this a wild colony? They're like, wild colony. I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, this is your sign to get a bee box and start an apiary. Totally. And they're like, always thought of doing it. Maybe, you know, like, they're like, clearly the universe thinks this is the time. I was like, totally. A few days later. And then you forgot. You're like, I forgot. Yeah, I was like, that's great. Wednesday, they write back, update, we kept the bees. And now I'm a registered beekeeper congratulations that is so cool that's the coolest thing so cool moon 5410 way to like
0: (laughs) give those bees a chance yeah you're gonna learn so much from this
1: so much i really want to do it i just i gotta find the time well i know that student nurse skip also has been like jen should get some goats I should get some goats. You should. And by
0: the way, I love the picture with the rooster.
1: Yes. It was so cute. Every week or every couple weeks, Guam Animals in Need or Gain, they're on Instagram as at Guam Animals. They post up all of their available cats and dogs. And Guam has a real problem with... Stray animals. Stray animals. Yeah. Cat and dog control feral populations.
0: There's a lot of background there, but it's a real problem.
1: And so, you know, I like post it up and I'm like, hey, nature nerds, do you want a boonie dog? Because that's kind of what they're called here, the boonie dog. They live out mm-hmm. in the country. All of the animals that live inside my house are or at animals. one point, yeah, a boonie mm-hmm. animal. And they're super sweet and great. And then I thought, maybe this is something that yeah, if you guys were interested in, and actually, we were contacted by a group called Boonie Flight Project. And they are a group here based on Guam. And they actually help with the flights of the animals off islands like let's say you live in new jersey and you want to adopt a which actually happened true story (laughs) true
0: story i had
1: a foster puppy and she was freaking adorable and this these people in new jersey saw her from like a friend's post or something yep and they were like we want her we flew her to new jersey it's of course expensive to fly an animal Mm -hmm. halfway across the world but boonie flight project will actually help with that so b-o-o-n-i-e flight project
0: and not that there's not a lot of cats and dogs probably near your hometown that need homes it's just I've never seen a situation like Guam before I came to the islands yeah it's pretty bad Mm -hmm. I would say that there's a lack of funding a lack of support for animal control to be Mm -hmm. able to pick up animals there's a lot of people working hard to establish a spay and neuter here but there's just not very many vets and there's a lot of demand
1: and the vets are pretty overtaxed just the stray mom cat that we got spayed she was able to have one extra litter which is now living in my house yes <laughs> uh in between the time that we tried to make her appointment and she actually got spayed, right and so. trying to catch her and trying to catch her and all that thank god that was Jen a whole was here. thing yeah she caught her for me yes <laughs> but yeah so if you're interested check them out boonie flight project yeah guam animals in need
0: we'll keep posting every now and then and speaking of pets of the week we're also getting a lot of your guys floofs coming in different pictures of your cats and your dogs and your goats and your chickens and everything else and All your we things. just love it so much mm-hmm. so what we think we're gonna do is we'll just start a page on our website and we're not gonna put your name but we'll Put your pet's name as long as that's okay. Then we'll story your pets from time to time. We won't guarantee how often, but probably at least (laughs) once a week, if not more. Yeah, absolutely. If you're not on Instagram, you'll see them on the website. We're going to make a page called Nature Nerd Floofs. All the floofs. All the time. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we love it so much. Thank you. Keep sending
1: them. So Jen, do you have a science news for us this week? I
0: absolutely do, and let me tell you, I'm not a big fan of the story, but Mm -hmm. I feel like we—it's definitely something we should talk about. It's definitely some science news, and one of our listeners sent it to us a couple weeks ago, and I definitely wanted to cover this since it kind of goes back to our chimpanzee episode, which was frightening. That was that was a tough one.
1: That was the one that inspired you to be like, we should have a podcast, (laughs) so I can tell this story because (laughs) it's frightened me. For the last 20 years and here we are
0: anyway this one is about some chimpanzees mm-hmm. that have been killing gorillas this is some recent recent news that's based on a paper that came out in july but i think these things came in the news maybe like by august of this you know year? like yeah this one came out in scientific reports and it was called lethal coalitionary attacks of chimpanzees on gorillas in the wild and the lead author on that is laura southern And then Tobias Deschner and Simone Pika. its my dog's name. (laughs) Pika. They've been working at the Longo National Park in Gabon, Africa. And they're studying chimpanzees there and are watching them. And there's also gorillas that are in the same national park. Although they're two of the different great ape species, they split from shared ancestry about... 8 million years ago, but they're known to peacefully coexist in most areas. They share food, shelter, resources, uh, been seen playing together and Mm. with really no conflict. It's not something you would think about.
1: It's like zebras and gazelles. They just like
0: might be in the same place. They coexist. Sure. But in 2019... Oh, no. Some researchers observed chimps killing gorillas in the wild for the first time on two separate encounters. And there's actually videos of these encounters... I didn't watch them because I honestly, no, I just don't, no. I don't know. I get really, it's just a lot of anxiety. They said, at first, we only heard, noticed screams of chimpanzees and thought we were observing a typical encounter between individuals of neighboring chimpanzees.
1: I remember you talking about that, that like when they're on the border with each other, there can be right. some they skirmishes. Have different groups, yeah. right?
0: And this is from Laura Southern. She's the first author on that paper that mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier. And she's a PhD student at Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology in Germany. So she's like, but then we heard chest beats.
1: Oh, we know about that. We did a science news. We did a science on, news on Talking Czech about the... Mm-hmm, to show how big they how are. How big they are, yes. Right, gorillas.
0: Gorillas. The first skirmish involved 27 chimpanzees and five gorillas. They had a hidden camera, obviously, because that's how they got the video that I don't want to watch. And they saw that the chimpanzees were super excited. They were emitting deafening screams as they attacked the gorillas for 52 minutes.
1: Jesus.
0: Afterwards, there were three chimps that were injured and one gorilla infant that was dead oh no the gorillas were protecting the infant but with 27 chimps they were able to get it away and kill it that's pretty tough to do with a gorilla but they were ganged up on and for almost an hour the second confrontation lasted over an hour and there was again well there were seven gorillas and 27 chimps at the end all were left unscathed except another infant gorilla infant was killed this time the chimps ate the infant and left only a little skeleton, naked skeleton, it says. Oh. I know. Chimpanzees are known to be, they're omnivores. Yeah. And they're known to steal
1: baby monkeys or eat monkeys. I kind of remember you talking about that right? in the episode. Yeah.
0: And they're also known to be aggressive and gang up and fight, mm-hmm. but usually not with gorillas. It says that by the age of five, and we know this from my episode, mm-hmm. by the age of five, they're stronger than most adults. And they said, considering that female Western gorillas can be almost twice the weight of a typical 100 pound male chimpanzee. While male gorillas can be three to four times as heavy as a male chimpanzee, the fact that chimpanzees can steal an infant from a gorilla mother is remarkable. Between chimpanzees and bonobos, right? That's how I say that right? Bonobos. (laughs) You I have a hard time saying that. I'm (laughs) like bonobos. bonobos. (laughs) Bono. I figured like bono, like sunglasses and some like... (laughs) Where the streets have no (laughs) names. Anyway, so they're known to kill other monkeys and Uh different species for meat, stealing infant monkeys, but not a gorilla. And in contrast, gorillas, they're not interested in that kind of thing. They said they show very little interest in killing other species, whether in the wild or in captivity. Right. Here's what they think. The researchers, they're like, what the hell? Yeah. And so they put on their thinking caps, <laughs> took all their primatology <laughs> knowledge. knowledge and okay. put it to work. And so they have two main theories, predation or competition. And the latter, they think the competition for resources may be triggered by climate change. I told you. (sighs) Always the crux. Always. They say it could be that sharing of food resources by chimpanzees, gorillas, and forest elephants in that national park resulted in an increased competition and sometimes even in lethal interactions between the two great ape species. And that's from Tobias Deschner, who is also a co-author of that paper and is also a primatologist at Max Planck Institute, the Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology. But climate change could be complicating hunts for food. Researchers say changes in and temperatures and other climate change factors are causing a collapse in fruit availability. Mm. And that's in the, in that area in Gabon. They said, we are only beginning to understand the effects of competition on interactions between the two great ape species. And that's from Simone Pica, the cognitive biologist, and she's actually at a different university, Osnabrück University in, Germ- in Germany. And she said, our study shows that there's still a lot to explore and discover about our closest living relatives. More to follow on that. I feel like they wanted to kill the babies. Yeah. I feel like that was some behavior that they would kill the babies, but that it was usually males to try and get a female.
1: Back into estrus.
0: I wonder if they were just, yeah, if they were just killing the babies because that's all they could manage. Get to, Yeah. yeah. Those gorillas need to build up their numbers and show them what's up. I feel like one good beating... Yes. And they, will, they won't come back. And is it the same 27 chimpanzees?
1: Right. Maybe there's a leader of the chimpanzees who's just like a little bit off. And all
0: the other chimpanzees are like, you guys are crazy. Yeah. We're not doing that. Is it all males?
1: There's like some female chimp who's like, you guys, come on.
0: That's just dumb.
1: That's stupid.
0: And they're like, no, we're going to do this. We're taking them down.
1: It's happening.
0: Anyway, that's my science news. Kind of depressing. It's a little depressing. But here we are again. If, if you're a patron and you heard our patron science news that I also talked about. Jen's bringing us down this week. It's all, it all goes down to (laughs) climate change. Just,
1: it's a mess. The crux. Anyway, Megan,
0: I... Hope you're going to bring us back up with a cool story. Mm -hmm, Yes, mm -hmm. I'm excited because it's October.
1: It's October. It is officially Halloween for the next uh, 31 days. (sighs) We're going to be doing
0: spooky stories all October.
1: Yes. I'm going to start us off with a story for fun. Okay. This story comes from Brad Culp, and I got it from an article in Outside Magazine. Oh, sweet. It is entitled, The Ghost of Oxford Milford Road. Oh, a ghost story. It's a ghost story. When Brad Culp was a student at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, there was a rumor that the town was one of the most haunted places in America. When Culp started an on-campus magazine, he couldn't wait to write about several of the area's most famous phantoms. Not long after his story was published, though, he kept finding himself thinking about one ghost in particular, the ghost of Oxford Milford Road. Burr, burr, <laughs> That was... We did not play that. <laughs> no, we didn't. So great. As the story goes, many decades ago, probably sometime in the 1940s, there was a young man courting a young woman in a rural part of town. Because the woman's parents didn't approve of the match, each night he visited under the cover of darkness. After her parents went to bed, the young woman would sneak out of her farmhouse and flash the lights of her parents' car three times. Then her young suitor would ride his motorcycle down the road. Remember, like, they, you know, they that have, sounds like, really a sneaky. Midnight tryst. Why? I know. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what is that? What kind of motorcycle was <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> you guys come there's on. no quiet motorcycle yeah unless he like walked it maybe he walked it uh. i don't know but one night he took a turn right before her house a little too sharp the uh. motorcycle went one way he went the other and his injuries were so severe that he did not survive oh uh. rumor has it however that his love-struck ghost still haunts this stretch of milford road curious Culp, his girlfriend, now his wife, and a friend, decided to head out there one night to see if they could verify the tale. His girlfriend was worried she'd be completely freaked out. She believes more in that stuff than I do, Culp says. But mostly he was concerned that none of this would actually be true.
0: But we know it is.
1: (laughs) On this particular night, as Culp passed the abandoned farm, an idea came to him, and he pitched it to his girlfriend. How could she not say yes? Though reluctant, she relented and Culp turned a short way onto the farmhouse driveway. He killed the engine and flashed his lights three times.
0: Never do anything three times. Then you know it's going to (sighs) happen. Thank
1: you. Uh, No joke. There was a single headlight that appeared three quarters of a mile down the road, Culp says. You saw it start to come going pretty slow. Then it kept coming and coming. My wife was freaking out. It was coming closer and closer. As a collision seemed imminent, Culp turned on his car lights. He expected to see a kid on a bike bailing out from his prank now that he'd been caught, but there's nothing there. The light is just gone. Mm -hmm. They got out of the car. They walked around trying to figure out what it was that they could have seen. To this day, we still talk about it. I saw something I cannot explain, he says. If you get him and his wife around a campfire, they'll swear up and down that the story is true. And if you're ever in Oxford, Ohio, consider parking just for a few minutes on Oxford Milford Road at night to test your own nerve. I'm gonna do it this week i want to talk about campfire stories yay (laughs) i love it you know that i love stories i'm like into any kind of story in any kind of form
0: yes but you also don't believe in ghosts
1: but i don't believe in ghosts
0: all of our listeners that know us by now that have listened to us they all know that you're not into it i'm a skeptic i mean you like it yeah but you don't believe it no but i do 100%. (laughs)
1: one hundred percent. Campfire stories are something that even if there weren't like some particular story someone's telling, it's just like the experience of the campfire. Has well, always you and I were both camp amazing. counselors. Yes, exactly.
0: Yep. Campfires. After you finish the whole "Kumbaya" song.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Then you're like, Alright, I'm gonna tell you a spooky story. <laughs> Listen up, kids. Right? And yeah, there's something about sitting around that fire and it's dark and everything's like a little bit flickery and
0: And when you look behind you it's pitch black. Right? Yes. It's like just don't look. So behind anything you. could grab you from behind.
1: That's so creepy, Jen. But <laughs> it's if- it's true. Sure. So yeah, campfire stories for sure hold a very special place in my heart. So I started looking for real campfire stories since we're doing a spooky October business. Awesome. And I came across a couple articles talking about this paper published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America, or PNAS. Have you ever heard of PNAS? <laughs> Sorry. I mean-
0: were you just trying to get a reaction? So many oh things. Oh God! I, I did not plan. Have that. Not
1: heard of peanass <laughs> but I <laughs> now I have. So continue. So I found this paper and I I actually read the whole paper because I found some articles talking about it. And then I was like, I got to read this paper.
0: You didn't just skim it.
1: I didn't just skim it. I fully read it. It's called Embers of Society Firelight Talk Among the Jutwasi Bushmen by Polly W. Weissner. And Jutwasi is like actually in the language, they use like clicks and guttural sounds. And I think you're supposed to make a click right before you do the two. So I can't do that.
0: Isn't that what didn't they find that that was the oldest language they could trace like Like, every human genetics back to that tribe.
1: They are the most... Researched people in South Africa. Okay. Southern Africa, not South Africa, sorry. Okay, Jutwasi Bushmen are made up of a number of groups or they're like band organized peoples, what, what anthropologists call them. And they are found in Botswana and Namibia, kind of like on the border between those two countries in the Kalahari Desert. And they're mostly in this 300 square mile area around 10 or so watering holes, like regular watering holes. Okay. So it's like the desert. That region is called the Dobi region. And they have been there- for 200,000 years at least. Wow. They have historically been hunter-gatherers. If you were to go ask a Dutwasi hunter... He would be able to name or, like, recognize 250 separate land animal species, 100 different birds, Mm -hmm. and they uh, forage something like 100 or more plant species. Wow. There are a number of other groups in this region. Most of them are, like, cattle herders, but these folks, the the Bushmen, are an egalitarian society, so everybody has a say, even though there are some leaders, but they don't ever make decisions on their own.
0: That's cool. Yeah.
1: I watched this video. It was, like, a community college introduction to anthropology or something. (laughs) Nice. But it was really good. (laughs) The guy who did it, it was a good video. I'm gonna put it in the whatever episode show notes.
0: Like, look, we're biologists. They don't teach us that stuff. They don't. They should. Yeah,
1: they should. But yeah, this they're a really interesting society, and like I said, super researched. Anyway, in the study that Polly did She Uh goes and she lives with the Jutwasi Bushmen in Northwest Botswana, a group of them, uh, for 174 days and nights in July, August, and November of 1974. So she goes there and she records conversations all day and all night. The conversations have to involve five or more adults. They have to last for 20 to 30 minutes, at least. And she looks at the following variables. Topic, main points, and people discussed setting, time of day, participants, initiators, praise and criticism, and when... And possible subsequent outcomes. So it's just like full on social science. She's uh-huh. just like following people around. Recording these conversations, I assume she has a translator with her because I don't think that she spoke the language. It
0: would seem like that would be pretty hard to learn the language, but I bet she picked some things up. Oh, for sure. For sure. Then later
1: in 1998, 2005 and 2013, Polly went back. Oh, cool. Yeah. And revisited with those people. That's
0: such a Peace Corps thing. (laughs) It
1: is. And like followed up on Uh the conversations and stories that had been told way back in 1974. Let me do a little history lesson. Okay. Okay. 400,000 years ago, our ancestors of homo sapiens, (laughs) they had recently perfected their use of fire. So they were using fire way back, but 400,000 years ago is when they really started like getting a grip on it. Like they were proficient. That's the word. And this is around the time that things really changed for us. So things like chewing time, if you think about chewing a raw piece of meat versus a cooked piece of meat, like which one is faster. Right. There were physical changes because of that. So our guts got bigger. Our brains grew. Uh because you're getting more protein all of this Um, digestion changed because we're not eating raw stuff we're eating cooked stuff and then how we lived on the land really changed so it actually created a central place for everyone to come together and cook their food on the fire and eat together and that created a social location
0: right okay i get it Mm -hmm. yeah i follow yeah yeah
1: so even more fire changed the way that our circadian rhythms were happening so fire enabled us to stay up later Uh Uh-huh. So before, we used to go to sleep when the sun went down. And then, because you had a fire and you're cooking on the fire and everyone's kind of sitting around the fire and it's social, you have these extended hours of activity.
0: Right. Huberman Lab talks about... Yeah, he talks about light and how it affects our yeah our rhythms.
1: Yeah, see, um, sitting at the fire also does something kind of to like your psyche. So when you're sitting, if you imagine yourself right now, you're sitting at a fire. There's like the glow around your uh-huh. face becomes softer.
0: It's like beer goggles. Beer goggles, exactly.
1: <laughs> Everything around you becomes like a little bit more magical, if you will. Yes, and it seems to pun totally intended ignite the imagination.
0: Pun accepted. I had to do
1: it. Okay, so Polly did this research. What she found was that three quarters of daytime conversation centered around work-related talk or gossip, mm-hmm. and 80% of the nighttime fireside conversation focused on singing, dancing, spirituality, or storytelling, things that usually take a lot of imagination.
0: It's like talk at the water cooler. Yep. And talk at the bar after work 100%.
1: So she does acknowledge what, when she talks about this data that she collected that she can't use that data to project on the past societies. So she can't say that this is how it was 400,000 years ago. But she can say that it gives us an idea of what practices worked for foragers and why and a sense of how we can look at that firelight area as a grounds to formulate questions and hypotheses regarding the impact of that social gathering area on social and cultural evolution. So stories told by Firelight tend to put listeners into the same emotional wavelength. They elicit understanding, trust, and sympathy and build positive reputations for qualities like humor, congeniality, and and innovation. Yeah, basically when you sit down at a fire and people are talking, you can relate to them. I feel like that's what she's saying there.
0: And also when you go to a bar and there's soft lights. Like the lighting, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Especially when it's red. Yeah, you ever know if there's like red lighting? You go to red lighting bars. What kind of bars were you going to come on man
0: <laughs> but you know at two o'clock i'm just thinking back to college days sure, sure sure when we used to stay at the bar until they closed
1: i mean i never did that but yeah you didn't uh, maybe once okay maybe once well anyway
0: they turn on the lights at two o'clock so everybody will go home <laughs> and then everybody's like Egh! you know like vampires <laughs> yeah and it's it's terrible and, you and just, they slink away they, flink, <laughs> they slither out the door
1: <laughs> they throw their trench coat over their face they just, like poof into a bat <laughs> your mascara running halfway down your face looks okay when that's the soft when all light. of a sudden you're like
0: "Ooh, no yeah i should go now
1: polly also talks about for the future there needs to be more research into different kinds of nighttime groupings of people like when she was researching these folks it was all genders all ages of a community all together Right. Like in the future, if anyone does this, they should look at groups based on gender, like nighttime groups of only women sitting around a campfire. Unfortunately, this future research that she's talking about doesn't seem possible anymore because of the changes in the forager society. The Jutwasi people, because of where they are located, the governments of Namibia and Botswana started putting down rules that they had to actually stay in place they weren't allowed to because they're a little bit nomadic based on how much they're able to forage. Like if they forage out and they end up eating all the food in this one area they're going to move around but Mm -hmm. these two countries like you can't do that anymore you got to stay put. Today when the Jutwasi people spend much of their daytime in villages they're living off famine relief and store bought foods and no longer engage in there's this thing called Pixaro exchange which is like gift exchange between Mm -hmm. different groups in those like banned communities. So there might be like some Jutwasi people here and suit people over here and they're like kind of related and they'll exchange gifts as a way to build relationships because they aren't having those same exchanges anymore because they have like government assistance then all of those social groupings have deteriorated a little bit
0: that's sad
1: even though things are changing with the Jutwasi people they still have nighttime conversations They still will use like their fire setting and they'll still kind of hang around at the fire at night. And they talk about things that they used to talk about, like the exploits of distant kin. So like basically stories about your uncle from another village, right? Um, Their adventures in different towns that they've been to. They talk a little bit more about local politics now. Truck stories, elephant stories was something that she listed specifically. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) just talking about elephants, Um, or experiences in trance. So religion for them, they have like shaman. And one Mm -hmm. of the aspects of that is that the shaman will go into trances to help heal people. But you can, like I said, go to the YouTube video and watch it. It gives you lots of information about the Jutwasi people. I love it. Something that she mentioned is that now there are youth of the Jutwasi who actually have mobile phones and will like wander away from the firelight. No. With their phones. Yeah. Look, trying to look for a signals. different kind
0: of nighttime light.
1: And she even goes on to say that as we become more complex socially, uh, something that she thinks would be interesting to look at is the, the evolution of firelight gatherings. She talks a little bit about this study in ethnography from this social scientist, E-Kirk? Perfect. E-K-I-R-C-H. They described the changes in Northern Europe between 1500 and 1750. Things were becoming more urbanized and society was changing to be more anonymous. Mm -hmm. The gathering of people at night, instead of it being related to a village or a group of people who all knew each other, people started to believe in things like witchcraft and they started to see more nighttime crime and then they really villainized the nighttime. It was followed up by science and lighting, like nighttime lighting, which made the night turn into something where people went to public entertainment. They were going out instead right. of being in
0: their home or in their
1: community within the right. village. That's when the bar started. Went to a bar, exactly, a pub. Yeah. The theater, yeah, venues that were mm-hmm. more public and more for like entertainment, which is, I mean, Firelight conversations are entertaining. Yes. That's kind of what we're looking for, like the imagination of them at least. Right. Firelight has evolved to something in modern life that harkens back to our ancestors. I wrote that. You <laughs> did not. I used the word harkens. That- I even laughed at myself as I was typing it. I was like,
0: <laughs> I am very impressed. Thank you very I much. feel like our podcast has reached new levels,
1: new levels. So it creates a setting for social intimacy and openness, even if they aren't a daily part of our lives. I definitely agree with that. Firelight is something that even though it's not in the same form anymore, or not as often, like right. every night we don't go out to the backyard to build a fire.
0: No, it's right. a novelty for it camping novelty. or
1: you decide you're going to do that. If you think back to the times that you have been around a campfire. It's very magical.
0: I lived on an island with no electricity. electricity. Yeah. yeah. It was just magical all the time. I, just, I had a magical. kerosene lamp and it was so little light. It was 7.30, 8 o'clock. I'm like, eh, I'm going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I'm good.
1: But there is something to be said for the, keros- the kerosene lamp versus like an overhead oh, exposed yeah. bulb, which is... <laughs> which very is what bright, you had. Which is what I... And it was like... It, kind of creepy you want to go to bed also because it's not very warm
0: no it was a whole experience not having power for a lot of years yeah and wearing headlamps i mean it's a different kind of light but yeah
1: there's this danish spirit of hygge h-y-g-g-e hygge I looked it up how to pronounce it. It's a Scandinavian idea of coziness where they place candles or, quote, living lights in their homes to simulate intimate conversation and a feeling of comfort. Love it. It's either sexy time or relaxing time. If you think about it, our firelight has moved from, even though we're talking about bars, we're talking about being at home. It might be like reading books or watching movies. Maybe there isn't a candle there. Maybe there is a candle there in your bathtub. Maybe. While you're reading. Who does that? Who Who has like a like one of those things you put over you like a tray table Uh and your bathtub and they have like have you ever seen that Uh uh-huh like in short circuit and she's like sitting in the (laughs) bathtub and she's got and there's like a candle and like flowers and like a glass of wine and i don't know
0: people should i don't know if you've been to home depot lately and looked Mm -hmm. at their light selection but now everything is like a vintage antique amber lights oh yeah so they're like dimmable from Mm -hmm. there and we were looking at them. I actually got some because I was like, these are really cool. And they they look, they're clear. Right. And you can see like, yeah, they're like old style. The vintage. Thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so you get them, but they're so dim. Anyway, and my husband was like, yeah, no, I can't. I can't even read something on a paper. It's like too dim. And I feel like it brings that ambiance and that atmosphere. And that's what people are looking for. Well, people want to be cozy. The amber light.
1: Yeah. Yes. I think it is that coziness and an intimate quality. Uh huh. Not like dirty intimate, but just like, you know.
0: (laughs) But you know, it's also kind of taking people back to what they imagine it was like back when maybe there were more like
1: kerosene lamps or... Mm -hmm. Which let me just say that when I watch period pieces that try to recreate things, you know, like the lighting in the movie Mm -hmm. is like very true to the times. It's really difficult to see. It's dark. It's really dark. I have to actually like brighten my screen so I can see what's (laughs) happening. (laughs) yeah and it's very frustrating to me so I always think about how yeah firelight a campfire is amazing because it's like a giant light and it's pretty bright but yeah if we're talking about just like oil lamps walking around your house
0: it's creepy as hell and also I always think about how cold it must have been
1: drafts everywhere
0: yeah that's why everybody like got sick all the time you
1: just have pots all over the place catching the water from your ceiling (laughs) just crusts of bread plagues and whatnot oh my god anyway so anyway i was also going to mention about how reading to our kids at bedtime Uh uh-huh if we think about bedtime stories as being another form of maybe a smaller campfire but with your kids it's super cozy it
0: is cozy and
1: polly says this is quote just like hunter gatherers we work our imaginations gain new perspectives and expand our horizons From stories. She goes on to say, even so, artificial light and digital communication are invading the night worldwide, turning hours of darkness into economically productive time and overriding social time and story time. So the day then ends with the flip of a switch without taking the time to revisit, explore, ponder, and repair relationships, or let the issues of the day fade with the embers. Wow. That was her last line in the paper. Very poignant. Artistically spoken. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very well
0: said and very true.
1: And it made me be like, I'm never turning on my phone again. But then I had to check Instagram. So
0: I try to make it a point to read to my kids every night. Mm -hmm. My older one is, I mean, she's still into it. That's amazing. She'll, yeah. And sometimes, you know, we'll read together to the younger one that's learning how to read. But anyway, it's like, you got to just stop and go do that
1: and take a moment. Mm -hmm. This is the time where I want to make a suggestion to all of our nature nerds out there go make a fire at a campsite. Or your backyard, maybe every so often following and, all the, the uh, well, yeah, the whatever guidelines. If you're in California, maybe you don't do that right now. Right. Or <laughs> um, never. Or never. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, maybe a time to think about reconnecting with our past and our present.
0: Yeah, totally. And, we are going to make a fire at our house. It's just been raining so heavily every day. So our kids are just waiting. when are we going to do that? We're like, as soon as it stops raining every day.
1: So I want to talk about this guy, William Forgey, F-O-R-G-E-Y, Forgey. Okay. So in 1984, William wrote a book called Campfire Stories, Things That Go Bump in the Night. He was a scoutmaster for 10 years. And he noted that in modern day campfire storytelling, there are 10 elements that go into telling a good campfire story. Would you like to know what they are?
0: I do. And are you starting from number one
1: or from number 10? um they're not in they're not in like that kind of order oh so yeah, number one whatever. sorry i mean i guess I, it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I mean <laughs> the scary, i was excited are you like thinking it was like from the least scary to the most scary yes. or something no 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 no. okay bye. just like
0: just just read it however you want to read okay. it okay i'm not excited anymore
1: i'm jesus but I, but I am but i am number one enjoy the practice oh okay smart number two maintain eye contact
0: oh jesus I know. Number three,
1: keep in close contact with audience. Uh Uh-huh. Number four, do not obsess over details. Okay. Number five, set a quiet mood, that's in quotes, prior to the story. So you got to be like, everybody shut up. (laughs) I'm going to tell a story. Uh, number six, utilize the energy of the audience. Number seven, maintain the campfire. I feel like that is like, why is that even in here? Of course, you have to make sure the campfire is still glowing. Yes. Uh, number eight, forego props or scare t- tactics. These distract from the story. Number nine, use different vocal inflections. Use different vocal inflections. <laughs> I'm already thinking of like the plastic hook. <laughs> right? Yeah, you can't bring your plastic oh, damn it. Hook. Uh, number 10, start sessions with believable tales to build credibility. Okay. So you got to start out small and then like ramp it up, I think. is what Okay.
0: Saying. Mm-hmm. I, I'm taking notes here.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. He also notes that, quote, the campfire story, while owing a strong association with horror or the supernatural, is not a subset nor class of tales, but an outdoor activity as much so as is hiking, rock climbing or swimming, as well for many a rite of passage into the years directly preceding pre-adolescence. I mean, that's kind of true. I feel like all my first campfires were like memorable and like a little bit scary. All right, so I have a couple more stories because I know you really want me to tell some stories. Yes, I do. I've been waiting. I can feel it. So this one is called The Ghost of La Parva Ski Resort. Okay. And I chose this article from Outside Magazine because the term I looked up was like true campfire stories. Okay. Because, you know, like everyone's heard the lady with a ribbon around her neck and all that stuff. Like, you know, I'm talking about the green ribbon or yellow ribbon, however you want to say it. You
0: ever heard that story? Is that the one where her head's like not attached? Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. The yeah. Ribbon. Okay, and they're yeah. like
1: married forever. And then when she dies, he like pulls it off and she, her head rolls off yeah i want to tell some stories that i mean i wanted to find some stories that were what that one's not real true. okay yeah it's <laughs> I'm <just kidding. laughs> sorry i'm so excited i quit okay. <laughs> so this ghost story of la parva ski resort comes from drew tapke he's a professional skier so throughout latin america you'll hear variations on the story of la Llorona. Have you heard of that? Like the, I think sometimes Lady in White or the Wailing Woman.
0: Oh, isn't there a movie?
1: I've seen a lot of different, even like episodes in yes. kind of creepy things that we'll talk. I think Supernatural she has one. Is the one that like
0: threw her kids? Yes. Into the
1: water? So usually. Or something like that. Or she drowns them or something. Like yeah. usually the story centers around either she lost her husband or she lost her kids or she lost both. Right. Husband and kids. Yeah. yeah. It's something
0: about her kids in the water. I saw, yeah. I remember.
1: So in La Parva, there's a ski spot in the Chilean Andes and the whaling woman there is named Lola. And everyone who's like around that area swears that they knew her before she died. Drew says there's a local restaurant owner said he dated her. And there's a ski patroller that he heard the story from pointed at the exact hut to where this tale takes place. So he's like, this is how it all happened. Okay. The story starts on a nice day in peak ski season. Lola and her young son plan to spend the day on the slopes. As can happen in the Andes, a thick fog rose up from the valley, which often precedes the arrival of a real storm. The clouds enveloped the two as they were making their way down from the top of the mountain, and they lost contact with one another. Desperate to find her son, Lola began screaming his name as she ran through the thick fog. Unable to see clearly, though, she stumbled down a steep slope and began sliding toward a rocky area. (sighs) By chance, a local lift operator who was returning to his cabin came across her body. He was afraid she was dead, but on a closer inspection, he found she was still alive, but just barely. Her body was covered in lacerations from sharp rocks, and the only word she said in the faintest whisper was her son's name. They don't name him. Never
0: oh, name. I was waiting. Sorry. I was like, <laughs>
1: son's name. Ronald. Ronald. The lift operator worked to carefully pull her body to his cabin, which was just up the hill. He bandaged her cuts as best as he could and then ran to fetch the doctor. Together, the doctor and lift operator made their way back to his hut, the fog hanging thickly in the air. When they arrived, though, the bed was empty. Just the bloody sheets remained. Neither the woman nor her son were ever found, but locals report hearing her wail for her child whenever they're near the lift operator's cabin. And here's the thing, Top K does not believe in ghosts. This guy who's telling the story. Okay. It's like 92. It. Something, however, changes when he arrives in Chile each winter. Maybe it's the fact that from La Parva you can see up to Cerro El Plomo, an Incan child sacrifice site. What? I know. Yikes. Maybe it's because Tabke has simply read so many magical realism books by authors like Juan Rolfo and Gabriel Garcia Marquez. But sitting alone in his cabin in the Andes with the wind whipping and the candles flickering, he swears that every now and then he can't tell if what he's hearing is a woman or the wind wow that sounds creepy and this last story was it people or was it aliens for sure it was aliens i already know the answer <laughs> uh this story is by doug Averill. he is a retired owner and manager of the flathead lake lodge what what do you know him yes shut up <laughs> do you really are you serious i'm 100 do they talk serious. about his wife Maureen. No, I don't see her name in here.
0: Hold on. How do you spell their last name?
1: A V E R I L L. So Megan. Yes,
0: I know them shut the front door whoever's listening we did not plan this
1: in fact i was gonna pull this story out but you really wanted another story
0: when i was 12 my dad got remarried well he got married they remarried when i was 14 but Mm -hmm. when i was 12 13 around that age is when he reconnected with his longtime love and um we went to flathead lake lodge because her best friend growing up is maureen who is doug who you just said his name that's his wife and they owned flathead lake lodge and i stayed there yeah and they're like longtime friends my my dad was just here and we were talking about it what the hell so now they're kind of retired but their kids run it but yeah that's like they're like family friends
1: this is super creepy that is so weird anyway (laughs) go ahead okay so (laughs) wow Doug (laughs) Averill, who I know, Uh, grew up as one of eight boys on his parents' sprawling dude ranch at Flathead Lake Lodge in rural Montana. As a teen, the Averill boys ran wild. Quote, we rode around as a little gang of cowboys, he remembers. They'd saddled up and head off to check cattle on the three giant tracts of land the family managed, which formed a triangle around some of the state's most remote rangelands. One summer in the 1960s, the brothers came across a ghastly sight there on the ground were three dead cows neatly arranged in a circle. No obvious wounds were visible, but their reproductive organs had been removed. But there was never any blood. It was almost surgical removal, Avril remembers. During this decade, America was obsessed with aliens, and write-ups in the local newspaper posited that perhaps this was the work of extraterrestrials. People mused that aliens had taken the reproductive organs for testing, but one day Avril and his friends came across a lance in their path. Attached to it was a cryptic note with a threatening message. That's when we thought, it's got to be people doing this. Then things got really strange. Over the next few days, a series of odd events unfolded. First, the brothers stopped in at a local bar to grab a hamburger, leaving their horses in the back of the stock truck. The horses were packed in tightly, and the Averils were only gone for a few minutes. When they came back, the horse packed into the middle of the truck was mysteriously out, with no signs of a struggle. We had no idea how they possibly could have gotten that horse unloaded without unloading all the others, he says. The next day, a new wrangler on the ranch fell off his horse and was badly injured. They'd all been riding together, but not a single other member of the crew saw the accident. It was the weirdest thing, Avril says. The man's injuries were so severe that he was left permanently disabled.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Finally, the last terrible thing happened. An old camp cook drove out to meet the brothers and ride for the day. But when he arrived, the tailgate on his stock truck had somehow gone missing, even though it had been there when he loaded up. His horse, Betsy, had fallen out of the truck and been dragged behind the vehicle for who knows how long. They had to put her down on the spot. To be honest, it just killed him to see what happened to Betsy. We probably should have put him down too, remembers Avril. Those three events were just boom, boom, boom. Three things in a row that were so weird, all tied together because they were right after we saw that spear he remembers. Three things, like the three dead cows left in a circle. Avril used to tell the stories from that summer around the campfire quite a lot. But over the years, he's got new stories. So they've been shifted out of rotation. Besides, they're awfully grim. They are pretty grim.
0: I never heard those when I was there, probably because we were like 12 and 13. Right? He's like, I'm not gonna tell these <laughs> <like his> Kids, <laughs> like we would not sleep. Yeah.
1: But he recently got a call about a downed bull, a buffalo. It was out in one of the most remote parts of his ranch. A neighbor had seen a pack of 16 wolves. And normally wolves don't bother buffalo. But 16 of them, I thought, well, maybe. He went to investigate. There, lying in a snow-covered field, was a bull, but there were no bullet holes or teeth marks or gashes on its corpse. Even stranger, scavenging animals and birds hadn't touched it, not even the buzzards, which is really unusual, he says. One other thing was amiss. Its reproductive organs were gone, (gasps) and there wasn't a single footprint in the snow around it or anywhere along the mile-long walk into the ranch from the nearest road ask avril whether he thinks he's dealing with aliens or humans and he'll tell you he's pretty sure it's humans but i'd rather it was aliens he adds after that summer back in the 60s seeing what humans were capable of he'd pick aliens any day
0: wow isn't that crazy Should I follow up on this story? You
1: should 100% follow up on this story.
0: I'll be like, hey, remember me? I was there when I was 13. (laughs) Hi. Hi.
1: I have a podcast.
0: I have a podcast and I just wanted to interview you. No, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, so I got those three stories, the one I told at the beginning, and those two from this outside online article entitled, Three True Ghost Stories for Your Next Backyard Campfire.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. I can't believe that you
1: pulled that story. That's crazy. Yeah. No. I'm kind of speechless, honestly. I also cannot believe <laughs> just <laughs> This is crazy. I love how I'm like, oh, do you know them? Yeah. And I'm like... <laughs> and you're uh, like, uh, yeah. I actually do. 100%. Wow. Isn't that nuts?
0: But I haven't been back. I've always wanted to go back mm-hmm. because Montana and well, it's yeah. an amazing place. I Apparently, it's pretty... Pricey to stay there, but
1: well, not for us because we're going to stay with Victoria.
0: I remember it so well. It was really beautiful. It was because I was still young and yeah, wow. Anyway, great
1: stories. That is my story for this week. Mostly, it's just about campfires. I know we didn't really cover any kind of animal stuff our ghosty stuff. A little bit of go- a, little, a little, bit little bit of ghosty, ghosty, ghosty stuff.
0: stuff. So I feel like it's just like we're dipping our toes in the ghosty, spooky waters.
1: It's a uh, nature adjacent because we're talking about campfires. Yeah. I mean, I mean make sure is. there's campfire safety. Of course, obviously, always.
0: And we're going to have more stories coming up on the next several weeks. We're going to have yeah. four stories. So Megan's going to do two. I'm going to do two. And then, oh, and I'm doing another one for our Patreon.
1: Yes. So let's talk about the organization to support.
0: Is it the Flathead Lake? Like, Wait a minute. It's not. <laughs> it's totally
1: not. Um. So I found this. It's campfire.org. What? I know. Started as Campfire Girls in 1910 and founded by Dr. Luther Halsey Gulick and his wife, Charlotte Vetter Gulick. They believed girls deserve the outdoor learning experiences that boys had and wanted to help, quote, guide young people on their journey to self- discovery so actually since 1910 and it was like 1993 I think they actually put in a gender inclusivity clause so like uber inclusive of anybody they're not religiously affiliated in any way Okay. anyone who can come they want to learn about campfires they want to participate in these camps it is a national inclusive youth development organization that connects young people to themselves others and nature so it's in the US only they have 1300 program sites across 25 states and Washington DC you can actually start your own chapter oh, that's of it. So cool. And I was like, we should do that here. But somebody but should, like, do should do that. Someone should do Yeah. That has more I was time. Talk to someone else about that. Yeah. <laughs> also, they have the Platinum Seal on GuideStar, which is if you're talking about nonprofits, it's like a rating system for nonprofits uh-huh. for maximizing donor gifts to make a real impact in the lives of today's youth. Wow. Yeah. Oh, so that's your so donor cool. dollars really go towards helping their programs, which right. is wonderful. And then I just threw out this that if you want like daily stories, I really enjoy StoryCorps and uh, Humans of New York, Honey. Oh, I so, love Humans of New York. Yeah. If well, you, I
0: started, I think you kind of got me onto that lo- beginning different-
1: of, pandemic they're wonderful stories so you should check those those both out and so jen i love it it's kind of weird because i don't know if there's like something for the emergency preparedness kit necessarily right but i mean i will say that as just a general precaution for campfire things you should think about or learn about in your area what's allowed for campfires and not
0: totally i was thinking more of some like protective
1: spells or maybe like a reiki master Oh.
0: To keep like anything away from you. From behind you? From behind you. Well, you know, in the dark, a lot of times when you tell stories or go too far down the road of spooky stuff, you mm-hmm. can attract spooky stuff to you, especially if you're the kind of person that's kind of open to those things. I've seen like
1: The Exorcist and so, <laughs> what's the what's the one that's like the. Well, don't the play with the Ouija board. Of Emily Rose. Yeah. Well, I will never. I will never.
0: I did before oh, no. in my past. I mean, nothing. I don't think anything ever came from it.
1: But my mom had a set of tarot cards. Cards. And I took them with my best friend Rebecca, and we went to the school one time. And we had the tarot cards, and we were like, "Oh, this and this and this." So you were like just flipping them around. And I remember like thinking, like, I wonder if we're supposed to do this or not. Tarot cards. Yeah, my aunt
0: had tarot cards, and I used to play with them all the time. It was kind of just fun. And I mean, this is before cell phones and things. Things. Yeah, when you used to actually play solitaire before, with actual cards before Bejeweled. <laughs> before, <laughs> yes, before I was trapped in Bejeweled. <laughs> And playing and playing solitaire on computers when all the cards would like when you'd win, oh, that I just was the that best. was the best,
1: just like yeah. <laughs> oh, good times.
0: And depending on how crappy your computer was, it would be like really slow and glitchy. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and then you go to like a nice computer, like your friend's house, and, and you're it was like, oh, super fast. This is how it's supposed to work.
0: <laughs> you're like, my dial-up isn't that good, lame. But yeah, emergency preparedness. I mean,
1: maybe just have a good ghost story in your pocket. In your back pocket.
0: Yeah. Do you have a good ghost story? Right now? I mean, I have my own ghost stories. I don't know about other people's ghost stories.
1: Uh. Do you want to I, tell one ghost story?
0: <laughs> I can tell one of mine. Yeah, yeah. When I was um working on this island doing sea turtle research. So all the work is done at night because that's when turtles come yeah. up to lay their eggs yeah i would always be walking around the islands at night and usually it was me and a crew of like four or five guys that are from the islands the turtle crew right right, right. we were basically waiting for sea turtles to come up lay their eggs and when they were done like covering and everything and they were going to go back to the water we would gently stop them be like excuse me ma'am can I just measure you real quick (laughs) and so we would measure them Mm -hmm. and collect all the data and put tags flipper tags on so we could track their movements right Mm -hmm. okay anyway lots of ghost stories in those islands
1: Oh, for sure. So
0: I was a little, I mean, it's dark. I'm walking around islands. You can't have lights because you're going to scare the turtles away. Mm -hmm. So the only time I ever used my headlamp was with a red light and only when I was actually doing the work on the turtle at that moment, right? Right. I mean, you were out there, so you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was really good at clamoring around in the dark. (laughs) I just had, it was like somehow I have really good night vision. (laughs) I remember hearing some stories that that on this particular island we were working on that there were a lot of ghosts and spirits Mm -hmm. and strange things had happened to people who had gone to this particular island because people used to live there a long time ago like their ancestors so there's certain platforms in areas where maybe like a men's house or a women's house or a spirit house because they had spirit houses back then used to be Mm -hmm. but they're just platforms and you're not supposed to walk on them ever um that bad things can happen to you they said there was like a story of a girl who went to the wrong place when she was there and they found her in a trance cutting off her own finger (laughs) Jesus that kind of stuff people's boats would disappear or things would happen to them anyway so I was told not to walk in these areas I didn't I just walked along the coast like along the beach and it takes I think the whole island is like a half mile squared I usually didn't walk the whole thing because part of it was so rocky I would just walk to the end of where the turtles and then I would walk back I was waiting for the turtle crew, guys. It was already dark. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, let's go, let's go. Get your stuff. Let's go. And usually one of us would always scout and come back. But this island was kind of bigger. And I didn't like walking it by myself, but I would. Yeah. And they were watching a movie on one of those little DVD players. They were all packed around it watching it. And I was really annoyed. I was like, fine, fine. I'm going to go scout. And the radios didn't work because the island was a little bit big. So I couldn't radio them until I got pretty close. Mm-hmm. As I was walking, and this is something that I had heard that if turtles or if something's happening you'll hear noises um on the like you'll hear people yelling okay on the beach it's uh, something people said like yeah you'll hear the ancestors will tell you so you'll know when the turtles are coming oh i was like yeah whatever like i did not (laughs) believe that so this particular night guys are watching their movie i'm like i'm out of here i
1: could just imagine like 10 Six to ten, like, very large island guys with, like, a tiny, there tiny was, like, screen. like, four or five. Yeah, 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 And they're all
0: gathered around. They're pretty much ignoring me because I yeah. think I just annoyed them most of the time with my <laughs> white girl business. I'm just like, let's go, you know. So, <laughs> anyway, so I start heading. I'm like, fine, I'm just going to go see if anything's coming up. In this island, there wasn't usually a lot of turtles coming up, maybe one or two a night. I'm, like, woming. <laughs> woman on a mission. I'm woman on a missioning around to the island and i got a little bit like half the way and i heard the guys yelling and i was like you jerks you just cut through the forest yeah which is not so fast to do or easy to do or something you'd want to do because then you would cross those areas you're not supposed to cross right but i was like somehow they are over there Mm -hmm. they tricked me and they went over and they're like making noise Yeah. And first of all, I'm like, why are you yelling? Because there's turtles that are, you know, we're supposed to be like pretty low key at night because we don't want to disturb the turtles, right? Yeah. So I kind of speed up my walk a little bit and I'm like, they're already there. I can't believe it. And I go to this place where the turtles usually, if there's going to be one, it'll come up and I get there and there were nine turtles that were up. Nine some were up already digging i had to stop and wait because one was coming up so i waited till you know she went up so i wouldn't spook her and i counted nine tracks and i was like holy crap and i kept i walked all the way to the end of where the uh sandy part was to look for the guys uh-huh. or any lights or any sign of them nothing and i was like Oy! <laughs> trying to yell <laughs> for them and there were nothing but nine turtles Mm. and I was like, oh my god, and I didn't have anything with me, and I couldn't, like, track down Nine Turtles by myself anyway. Yeah. Because it was a lot. So I started running back in my slippers, <laughs> <laughs> my little flip-flops. I'm saying. And I'm running, and I broke one, and I ran the rest of the way with no shoes. <laughs> and I was, like, running back, I get there, and they're all still there watching the movie. And I was mm-hmm. like, Hey, weren't you guys? I'm all like out of breath. I'm like, who was there? And they're like, nobody. We're all here. I was like, no, because I heard you guys yelling down there. And they're like, no, we weren't there. Oh my God. And I'm like, but there's nine turtles. They're like, oh yeah, you heard the ancestors yelling.
1: Because there are nine turtles.
0: That's a real story. That really happened. I really heard people yelling down there, just like I would hear the guys if they were like, like being too loud. Right, right, right. Anyway. That's nuts. It was weird. And they were all like, see? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> there were some other weird things that happened. I'll save it. Yeah, yeah. But that was that was interesting.
1: Were you completely freaked out?
0: I was completely freaked out. That whole island kind of freaked me out. There mm-hmm. was like little things that kind of happened that I... Whereas the other island we worked on that didn't have ancestors that had lived there. Had no, it was really uninhabited since mm-hmm. way back. That nothing. It didn't have that feeling of of kind of like a heavy feeling like this island had like it felt like wild because there were so many birds and turtles was a lot happening with the wildlife on this other island and there were a lot of turtles Mm -hmm. but this island it was quiet Mm -hmm. there weren't a lot of birds there wasn't a lot of action like anything with the wildlife but it was a bigger island that should have lots of stuff lots of stuff but it had a heavy feeling and there's so much more I could talk about with that because the history of that island and anyway but I won't go into it but yeah.
1: I think I went to the island with all the
0: birds. You did. You went there. There's so many birds. So many birds and they make weird noises at night and you're yeah. walking around
1: and they're like <laughs> <laughs> and you're like
0: oh <laughs> it's just like you're like is that
1: that's the island that has the blue footed of boobies right yes i remember seeing yeah yeah and i was like that's so cool yeah they see have one. lots
0: of boobies <laughs> and lots of yeah lots of stuff going yeah, yeah. on there but yeah there's that one is it's totally different vibe anyway creepy. i only worked on that island the one year and then i just wouldn't stay there anymore <laughs> and
1: then you were like i'm done
0: i was like i'm good i'll just i just went and visited but i never really stayed there stayed there because it was too creepy who are those people that can like put protective spells on you
1: like a bodyguard
0: <laughs> no, not like a medium, but like a Reiki. are they? Are they kind of clear, clean? I, yeah. I
1: thought Reiki were those people like heat up their hands and they put it on you and it feels really good. You see how much I believe in these things. Oh God!
0: <laughs> no, I think Reiki are the ones that like kind of cleanse your spirit. Oh, okay. Of any kind of bad juju. I'm just saying some some protective flare
1: <laughs> on your suspenders.
0: <laughs> What's flare and fire? I feel like there's a pun there.
1: Yes, I'm definitely naming this episode "Some Protective Flare," <laughs> just so you know. Well,
0: well, you can call it some protective Flares. spirit flare.
1: Some protective spirit flare. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. 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 There you go. For the darkness behind you, at the, <laughs> For the darkness behind you. Because <laughs> cra- you feel so good when you look into the campfire, and then you turn around, and it's like nightmare action. It's like glowing
0: eyes in the dark. Yeah. Which, by the way, I just started watching Midnight Mass on Netflix
1: so good
0: i just i'm at the beginning and you were the one that recommended it yes and there's so many dead cats in the beginning i was like <laughs> I, I can't believe megan recommended. i know this.
1: you can tell they're fake and it's stephen king and you it, just know yeah. you and know it, it's gonna happen but yeah. talk about
0: glowy eyes in the dark
1: creepy yeah i
0: haven't gotten i mean you binged it but i'm still i did binge it yeah um, and
1: being a person who grew up Catholic, it was a little weird of a binge. I mean, I too, like <laughs> today, like too much. today I was like, we were driving to the store, and I was like, in my mind, I was there was that with like hymn hymnals, whatever hymns that you sing, holy, 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 yeah, holy, holy, <laughs> holy yeah 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 just so you know it's not just catholic or or running through my brain it's all of them oh well yeah so that was fun (laughs) watching (laughs) that series and being like do i need to go back to mass i I don't know i love stephen
0: king so i don't even care what it is i watch
1: it it's so good it's really well i feel like it's really well made i don't know so we have some patrons to shout out yeah we do um so our first patron to shout out is crystal thank you so much crystal for becoming a official nature nerd
0: thanks crystal and also we got a message from her on the twitters and she's she's also on twitter so thanks crystal there we go so cool also a big thank you
1: for becoming a patron to alexis thank you so much alexis we appreciate you guys so much absolutely and if you would like to become a patron, check out our website, click on our Patreon link, or you can go to our link tree on Instagram and check out our Patreon that way.
0: Other ways you can support, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. If you give us a five-star review, we'll send you a sticker. Possibly too, if you send us pictures of your pets. Fill out the contact form on our website, or you can just email us at you're going to die out there at gmail.com and send me your mailing address. It's that easy.
1: You can also support us by checking out our sponsor links on on our website sponsor page all of our sponsors are eco-friendly zero waste you will get discounts using our discount codes and the links that we provide and you
0: can also support us by following us on instagram or twitter and listening on any platform like stitcher google Podcasts, and spotify oh and if you have ideas for stories or you saw some interesting news or some science news feel free to send us an email or send us a dm on instagram and until next time
1: don't die out there
0: bye, bye. Today I stocked my neighbor's chickens that were running around in the yard. Again,
1: in a chicken shirt, right? I you were wearing, on the phone with me.
0: I was talking to Megan wearing a chicken shirt and staring at my neighbor's chickens that were running around in their yard. We were having, I just never see the people that live there. I only right? see the chickens. It, and I wanna, I was like, is it weird to leave a note and be like, hey, I love your chickens.
1: I just love that you were talking. We were having like, I don't think it was a serious conversation. It was no. just like businessy, whatever, like we were, day conversation, we whatever pod our talk. conversations are. Yeah. are yeah. like random pod meetings. <laughs> yeah. and And then you were like. Oh <laughs> And I was like, "What is happening?"
0: I was walking my dog. Oh, oh there you are! <laughs> and I was watching the chickens. He was watching
1: the chickens. It was great. Yeah, it's almost unfathomable. Unfathomable. Unfathomable.
0: Unfathomable. <laughs> unfathomable. It's hard to fathom. Just say that. It's hard to fathom. It's hard to fathom.
1: <laughs> Rural, the pound. It's hard to say rural. <laughs> I would like really struggled with like, should I say rural? It's so hard for me. Or... But I went with it. We were in the store. My son says, "I want to get some Mentos and Coke." And I'm, like, <laughs> and I'm like, no. And he's like, yeah, I just want to see what I'm like. No, you're not going to. It's not happening. All right. Like I'm trying to keep my house relatively clean
0: because,
1: uh-huh. you know, you get Mentos, you put it in the Coke and it explodes.
0: OK. It's I, like, that's the, like an old thing, right? Yeah. It's like okay. a thing.
1: And, and I'm like, you can go watch it on YouTube. Like, why do you need to do this in the house? So
0: next he's like, Mom, I want some
1: Tide Pods.
0: <laughs> you're like,
1: God <laughs> right? bless. Right. He's like, OK. He's like, listen, he's like, do you think that if you bought Mentos and Coke together that the alarm would go off like it, or, or if you stole it? If you stole it. I'm like, why are you even talking about stealing things? He's like, No, 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 I'm not gonna steal anything. He's like, What if you stole Mentos and you went out the door and the alarm didn't go off? And then you stole a Coke and you went out the door and the alarm didn't go off. But what if you stole the Mentos and the Coke together? Would the alarm go off? What? And I was like
0: kind of a question is
1: that because he thinks that somehow it's more illegal to buy <laughs> Mentos and Coke together. Because you know there's that. He's urban-ness. like, hear me out. <laughs> yeah because there's like that urban myth that if you eat mentos and then drink coke it'll explode you'll explode or whatever which okay is not true but anyway that's my son's brain
0: poor poor 12 year old boy brain and i feel like
1: that's how i know he's my son too <laughs> it's like <laughs> he's like really elaborate questions like, where you're where like do just, you just don't do it let's just don't, let's not steal anything let's just go home i mean it makes me tired I, I, <laughs> I was like i gotta go take a nap now you're like
0: i can't i'm done shopping this is yeah we're good
1: we're never but... going to the store again no